0: So we're going to focus in on verses 13 through 19 in the passage that we read together today. And here in these verses, we're looking at the calling of the 12, the 12 uh, apostles. So as as we look at this, we see uh, from the calling of these 12, we see clearly that Jesus is Um, He's doing something new. And remember, we we looked at that in the previous uh, study together before I left, how uh, the the religious leaders were criticizing him, and Jesus said, uh, you know, they were criticizing his followers for not doing things the way they did it, and Jesus said, a new wine needs a new wineskin. Basically, Jesus said, look, we're not doing (laughs) the old thing, we're doing a, a new thing here, and the fact that Jesus chose 12 apostles now uh, shows that this is a new thing that, that's connected to the past because remember there were 12 nations, 12, or 12 tribes, excuse me. And uh, the tribes were related to the 12 sons of Israel. And so that's what had been. Now, the new thing is starting and it is with these 12 men that Jesus is uh, choosing, that he's going to establish this new work that would be ultimately manifested as the church and uh, God's uh, means of working in the world from generation to generation right down to where we are today. So we want to look at three things. We want to look at the the 12 men, uh, first of all, and secondly, we want to look at um, the call that they were called by Jesus to something, and then we want to see uh, what He appointed them to so let 's look first of all at the twelve and let me read you the names again, and I want to uh, make some comments about each one of them. Um, so beginning with Simon. so the list of apostles in the, the Gospels always starts with Simon. Uh, to whom he gave the name Peter, so we know him mostly as Peter, James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. So James and John, these are the two brothers, and Jesus gave them the the nickname Sons of Thunder. And then there was Andrew, and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite or the Zealot, and then finally Judas Iscariot. So you have a very diverse group of people here. And that's one of the things that we want to just kind of talk about here a bit. But let's just kind of reflect on them for a moment. So Simon Peter, Peter is, you know, probably beside Paul, he's probably the most well-known Uh, of the apostles. There's much about Peter in the gospels. And then uh, the book of Acts, there's much about Peter. And then Peter is the author of two of the New Testament letters. And um, Peter was, uh, even according to Paul, he was one of the chief apostles. And so he was one of the leaders. His original name, his birth name was Simon. And Simon was a common name. Uh, based on Simeon, one of the sons of, of uh, Jacob, one of the names of the, one of the tribes, the tribe of Simeon. And, and yet Jesus named him Peter, or in the Greek, it's Petros, which is the Greek word for rock or stone. And he's also called Cephas. And Cephas is just the Aramaic version of Peter or rock. Now, when you look at him, um, in the early days, he doesn't seem to be that much like a rock. Now, when, when you think of a rock, and we're talking about here, not like a little pebble, but we're talking about a, a rock, um, you know, one of the things you can think about a rock is that there's stability with a rock. Um, you know, large rocks are pretty fixed, you know, they don't move too easily, and, and so when you think of a person whose character is kind of like a rock, it means they're, you know, they're solid and they're stable. But by nature, that really wasn't the case with Peter when you look at him. He was, in, in many ways, uh, impetuous. He was the kind of person who uh, seemed to speak before he thought quite frequently. And um, he, he was a person who Jesus had to kind of correct a lot, and, and yet, Jesus gives him this name. And what that tells us is that uh, Jesus didn't see Peter for who he was as much as he saw him for who he would become. And guess what? He sees that with each one of us too. So he looks at us, and he sees what he is going to make us into and we can just be encouraged by looking at Peter that the Lord uh, doesn't just start a job, he finishes it. Because the, by the time we get to kind of the end of the story with Peter, we find that he is a very solid figure in the church. And um, you know, very much uh, a person that could be Uh, depended on and relied upon. So you have Peter, and then Peter has a brother named Andrew. Now in Matthew's gospel, Matthew puts them side by side, Peter and, or Simon and Andrew. Uh, Andrew is mentioned here after James and John, but we'll talk about Andrew for a moment. Andrew is um, where Peter was kind of a, um, you know, very vocal and kind of out in the front type of a person. Andrew seems to be more of a behind-the-scenes type of a guy, but Andrew was the one who actually brought his brother to Jesus, and so we find with Andrew that he is a person who's more of a quiet person, a more of a behind-the-scenes person, but he's a person that God is using to connect people personally with Jesus, and then we have these two brothers, uh, James and John. Uh, James and John, Jesus gives them the nickname, the sons of thunder. Now that, that's an interesting thing because um, John's first letter is known as the epistle of love. And John is known as the apostle of love. In you know, church history, they at the, you know, a certain point, people kind of labeled John as the apostle of love. And uh, you read his writings and he he does emphasize love quite a bit. And he even seems to be in many ways quite tender. Uh, there's there's a point where he tells us that at the what we call the Last Supper, when Jesus was talking about the fact that he was going to be betrayed, uh, John tells us that he was leaning on the chest of Jesus. That's a very tender thing. Now he was probably the youngest one of the apostles as well. He could have been just a teenager at this time. Um, But, so all of that's true, but then there's another side to John because Jesus says he's a son of thunder, gives him the nickname. And we see an example of this. There's an occasion where Jesus is going, um, he, he passes through Samaria, he's sharing the gospel there and the people aren't receiving him. And John and his brother James, you know what they say? They say, Jesus, how about if we call down fire from heaven and we destroy them like Elijah did? And Jesus said, no, we're not gonna do that. That's not what I came to do. Jesus said, I came to save men's lives, not to destroy them. But from that comment, you realize that John had a bit of a fiery side to him as well as that tender and loving side. And then you have his brother James Now, James, uh, Peter, James, and John, these three are often uh, linked together in close association with Jesus. And Peter went on, as we've seen, you know, to be quite a pillar in the church. John outlived all of the other apostles. James was the first apostle to die for his faith. So James is martyred, We have the record of that in the 11th chapter uh, or the 12th chapter of the book of Acts. He's put to death by Herod. And so these are the men that are mentioned here. Now, these four guys had this in common. They were all fishermen. And they actually were in partnership with one another as fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's talk about a few more of the names here. So after that, you have then Philip. Now, we know a little bit about Philip because John, in his gospel, he, he mentions Philip on a number of occasions. And then we have this, uh, this name, Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew is known in John's gospel as Nathaniel. So when you read about Nathaniel in John's gospel, that's the, uh, he's called here Bartholomew. And once again, that would common to have a couple of names. Whenever you see bar, that means son of. So he's being referred to here now as the son of his father. And yet, um, Philip and, and Nathaniel were close friends. They're linked together here. And then we have Matthew. We're familiar with Matthew. Remember, he was also Levi. We studied about him previously. He was the tax collector. And then we have Thomas mentioned. And once again, it's in John's gospel. Uh, it's in John's gospel that we get a little more insight into some of these lesser known uh, apostles. John tells us stories about them. Thomas uh, has come down to us kind of in church history. He's known best for uh, doubting. Remember? Uh, they, everyone had seen the resurrected Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. They told him, we saw the Lord. He was here. Uh, he's alive. Thomas said, I'm never going to believe it unless I see him myself. I am going to have to see him, and I'm going to have to put my finger in the nail prints before I'm going to believe. And of course, Jesus comes to him and allows him to do that or challenges him to do that. But he gets then tagged as Doubting Thomas. So here he is, Thomas. And uh, we know from John that Thomas was a twin. He had a twin brother. And uh, his name was also Didymus, which means twin. And then we have James, the son of Alphaeus, now, earlier, we read that Matthew was a son of Alphaeus, so perhaps James is the brother. Uh, James and, and uh, Matthew are brothers. And then we have this Thaddeus. So this is a really interesting one. Thaddeus is uh, also, in Matthew's gospel, Thaddeus is called Libius. Is all this confusing to you? <laughs> He's called Libius. Here's what I want you to know. The the list that we have of apostles, some people say, you know, the Bible's got so many problems. I mean, they can't even get the list of the 12 people right. No, these are all the same people. They just had, like in the culture, they had different names. Saul, who was also called Paul. was very common. We've already seen Jesus changed the name of Simon to Peter. So Thaddeus... Had another name, Lebius, but he had another name, Judas. <laughs> and so John tells us about that. Now, me, people speculate that he's called Thaddeus and Libius because this is all being written after the events that happened. And of course, people, you know, Judas Iscariot, Judas has become like, who wants to be named Judas after Judas Iscariot, right? So they say, well, you know, they just went with his other names. But John refers to him as Judas. But he specifies and tells us that it's not Judas Iscariot. So that's who Thaddeus Libius is, Judas. And then you have Simon the Canaanite. Now, Canaanite here is not the Canaanites like the ancient people that inhabited the land of Israel before Joshua came in. This is Canaanite, like the city of Cana. There's a city in Galilee, Cana. And so he's from the city of Cana. Or there's another um, idea that the Greek word here means, and it's it's probably what it is because this is the way Luke translates it, Simon the Zealot. So he was a zealot, meaning that he was part of um, those those um, kind of terrorist-type groups that were seeking to overthrow the Roman government, actively seeking uh, through guerrilla warfare to overthrow the Roman government. And yet he becomes an apostle. And then the final one here, we all know Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. So there's a few things I want us to see here. Number one, I want us to see that um, there's a tremendous amount of diversity in these people. And, you know, it never ceases to amaze me uh, the people that God brings together to serve him. Uh, People that normally probably would never really gel with each other. And, And yet through faith in Christ and through that common bond that we now have in Jesus, God brings uh, people together of, of such diverse backgrounds that, you know, just from a natural standpoint, you just realize, you know, they, these people never would have connected. Um, before I was a Christian, I was very, very particular about who I would um, allowed to be my friend, (laughs) you know, I, I had a certain standard of people that I wanted to associate with. And if you were part of that group that I had that category that I had developed then great, you could be there. But if you weren't, I wasn't really interested in having any kind of association with you. I know that sounds terrible and it is terrible because I was a terrible person because I was a sinner who was lost. Um, but that's just the way it is. And I have so often thought and sometimes almost humorously about the people that God has linked me with after my conversion and partnered me with and and given me lifelong brotherhood and friendships with. And I think, wow, in the world, we never would have ever connected. Uh, I often think of our... um, um, one of our pastors here on staff, Pastor Will. Um, so Pastor Will, his, his background is in military and law enforcement. Uh, my background was juvenile delinquency. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are the kind of people that I just didn't want to be around at all. <laughs> and and I, I just, so so often, it, it just, it's funny to me to think of how uh, you know, God, God brought us together and gave us a partnership in ministry. And, and this is what happens. And, and this is the way God works. He's into diversity. And he takes all kinds of people and he brings them all together. And this is part of the miracle and part of the glory of the gospel that all the things that separate us and all the things that divide us naturally, which are many, those things are blown away through the power of the gospel. At least they're supposed to be. So, you know, when you have, in, in the in the context of the church, when you have uh, situations where you have racial uh, tension and you have socioeconomic kind of divisions and things like that, all of that is completely contrary to the gospel. So, however, you know, Christians have allowed that to uh, seep into their lives, or churches, or or ministries, or whatever, have allowed that kind of stuff to come in, it is just so counter-gospel that it's, it's astounding to think that it ever was able to really take root. But unfortunately, it has, but it never should, because God is into diversity. He's into it, and he shows us right here with these men uh, right from the get go. So that's one thing. The second thing I want us to see is now out of this list of men, there are six names. Um, yeah, about about six, maybe seven, that we that we know. You know, some some we know a little bit more about. Some we know a little less about. But you know, there are some. N- names here in the list. We don't really know anything about these guys, but yet they were apostles. I mean, think of that. You know, we live in a time and it's not just unique to our time. It's kind of always been the case. There's, there's a tendency to take people and promote them and to put them up and, uh, you know, to kind of idolize them and things like that. And that was happening even in the new Testament period in, in the, church in Corinth. They had all these divisions. Some people were following uh, Peter, Cephas. They thought, you know, he's the, he's the great apostle. And some were following Apollos. And they were sure that he was really the one to follow. And, and others were even following Paul. And then there were others that were saying, forget all you guys, I'm following Jesus. And you remember it was Paul and writing to them. He said, you know, look, what are you doing? This is this is what people do in the world. Who is Paul? Who is Peter? Who is Apollos? We're just we're just uh, instruments by whom you believed. And and what you see here with these twelve men and half of them come down to us historically in total obscurity. We don't know we don't really know where they came from. We don't know any details of their background, and we don't know where they went and what they did. Now there's there are ideas from church history about where they went and what they did, and there are some, probably some truth to some of those stories. There are obviously some legends that developed around it. But you know, the Bible never tells us the details about the future of these people. Uh, we know Paul was executed by Nero. Church history tells us that. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that the time of his departure is at hand. But, but the Bible doesn't record his execution. Uh, Peter, we, we know, or we, we have from history that Peter was crucified in Rome. And they say he was crucified upside down. Was he? We don't know. Some say he was. Uh, but there's no biblical record of that happening to him. But we do know from the scriptures that he would die a martyr's death because Jesus told him he would. So, but, but you know, where these guys went and what they did, we don't know. But they were apostles. And so, listen, we need to guard ourselves against getting into that mentality of, you know, kind of trying to find the celebrity pastor to follow or, you know, the celebrity leader or, you know, putting one person up against somebody else and assuming that, well, you know. Because this guy has this many Twitter followers, man, he's gotta be really anointed by God, so I'm gonna follow him, listen to everything he says. Um, Let's just not get caught up in that stuff. Because there's guys out there with five Twitter followers who actually have apostolic ministries, just like these guys. We don't know anything about them, but they were apostles. They were chosen by Jesus, and they were sent out. And so you have the diversity, and you have... Uh, in, in, from the human sense, you have obscurity, but nevertheless, they were God's servants sent out to do his will, and they did his will. And their um, little just mentions here are just a reminder to us that God takes all kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds and he uses them in ways that are very unique for who they are. You know, I have to always remember that. Because I, sometimes I can get in my mind like, you know, sort of like the perfect, um, the, 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 kind of just the perfect person that God uses. You know, this is, this is how you've got to be. And then God's really gonna use you. And whenever I start to develop a mindset like that, God just shows me somebody who's completely the opposite of that and shows me how he's using them. I'm like, okay, sorry, I was wrong about that. So these passages here, although they just seem like it's just information telling us, there's a message that God's in diversity and he uses all kinds of people. And we don't have to be like somebody else to be used by God. We just need to be the person that he made us to be used by God. So that is just a quick look at the 12 here. Now, I want you to notice what it says. So it says in verse 13, we'll pick up there, and he went up on a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that, knows two things here, that they might be with him that's number one. And secondly, and that he might send them out to preach. So we're gonna look at those two things now. So the first thing, he calls them, first of all, that they might be with him. You know, the 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 priority from God's standpoint for us is the relationship that he has with us. That's that's the That's the great thing. That's the foundational thing. And that's the thing that we always have to remember because it does quite often happen. And it especially happens with people who are in more like, you know, sort of full-time type ministry. It's easy for people to get uh, super focused on what they're doing for God to the exclusion of, just enjoying the relationship that they have with God. And we have to fight against that. And the best way to fight against it is just to remember that Jesus chose us first to be with him. That's what he's concerned about more than anything. He's not primarily concerned with what you can do for him. Jesus didn't save you because he needed you to do something for him. He didn't save me because he needed me to do something for him. Because he has, um, well, of course, he has a whole host of angels that could do his work far better than we could ever do it, uh, far more effectively, and with much less drama. uh, You know, he could just get it all done. Uh, But he chose to use us. But he chose first and foremost to bring us to himself. And that's what we can never forget. The greatest thing in my life is not that I get to be a pastor. The greatest thing in my life is that I get to be a child of God. That's the greatest thing in my life. And being a pastor is a great thing too, but that, that comes out of the fact that I'm a child of God. And so the greatest thing in your life, the greatest moment in your life will not be when you do some great thing for God. The greatest moment in your life happened when you met Jesus and you were called to him. You were drawn to him. And let's not forget that. And since that is the the first and foremost reason for why he saved us, not to be servants, but to be sons and daughters, let's make sure that we focus on the relationship, that we cultivate the relationship. Now, listen, this is true. There are many miserable Christians in the world. Many miserable Christians. Many people who are serving God who are uh, quite miserable, really. Why, why are, I mean, that, that's kind of like an oxymoron in a sense, isn't it? It's like Christian and miserable. Wait, something's the matter with that. You know, follower of Jesus and miserable. How is that? It's a reality because of this very thing we're talking about. It's a reality because whenever I forget that this is first about my relationship with him and then I start making it about something else, inevitably, I'm gonna become frustrated and upset and disappointed and miserable and not am I just going to be miserable, I am going to make other people miserable. That this always happens. It happens when we lose sight of the main thing. And the main thing is the relationship. And you see, if I focus on the relationship and realize that it's from the relationship that everything else is gonna happen, that's, that's when I maintain my joy. That's how I avoid falling into that miserable state. But once I neglect that or Just in some ways, forget that and start focusing on the thing or things that I'm supposed to do. I'm either going to have some success and become um, so arrogant about it that nobody can stand to be around me, or I'm going to experience failure and become so miserable that nobody wants to be around me because I'm just feeling like I'm a failure, I'm a loser and all of that. But, but it, but it all stems back to taking our eyes off of where they're supposed to be. And they're supposed to be on the relationship with Jesus himself. And that's where he starts. He, he called them that they might be with him. Jesus saved you so you could be with him. He saved you so you could know the joy and the delight and the blessing of being a son of God, of being a daughter of God. And he wants you to spend your life just growing in the realization of what it is to be a child of God. And so how do we do that? Well, he said, he he wanted us to be with him. We have to be with him. And how are we with him? Well, we're, we're with him when we take time to open the Bible and read it with a heart that says, Lord, I want to know you, so would you reveal yourself to me? When I take time to pray and say, God, I, I want to commune with you, I want you to talk to me because I want this relationship to, to grow. And... What, whenever I do those kinds of things then I'm doing the thing that Jesus saved me first and foremost for I'm experiencing being with him and then the other stuff will naturally proceed from it so that's where we start seeking him knowing him worshipping him you know I mean, sometimes I think, and I I think this about myself, um, you know, sometimes I think how, you know, we have this, uh, the the New Testament speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. In, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And sometimes I think of how, how foolish I am of settling for so much less than God has offered to me. I think, you know, I just so easily settle for so much less. Why is that? Rather than really, you know, seeking to know the Lord in, in ever-increasing measures, why do I content myself with just a surface knowledge so often? Why don't we go deeper? Why do we let uh, the things of the world, you know, pull on us and distract us and consume our time and all of that? What, what is the matter with us? You know, and I do think that one day, unless we you know, get moving more, more consistently in that direction of doing that, I do think that one day we're gonna have such a, a moment of just disappointment. You know, there'll just come a moment at some point where we say, Lord, what was I thinking? What, what was I doing? Why didn't I do what I could have done in regard to getting to know you better? So let's, let's do that now. Let's not have that, that day of regret you know, out in the future. I remember some years ago when a friend of mine passed away as he was diagnosed and was dying. And he'd been a Christian for many, many, many years. And he would attended church regularly and been involved in ministry and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I remember when he knew he was dying, when it was absolutely certain and there was no turning back, I remember that everything just changed for him. And he, all of those things that he once was really, uh, you know, in the end, quite honestly, distracted by, those things became nothing to him. The, the material things and the prestige and the position and, you know, all those things that he pursued as a Christian. Uh, I, I remember when he just, it was for him, that meant absolutely nothing now. And all he wanted to do was get to know Jesus better because he knew that it was a short amount of time before he was going to see him face to face. And he just thought, you know, I I, don't, I I can't waste any more time. And, you know, he had a, 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 an epiphany. He had a moment, an awakening to that. And God help us to have that kind of an awakening, not because we get news that we're gonna die soon, Uh, but just because we realize that this is right here available to us. This is the desire of Jesus that we might be with him. That's why he saved us. Like I said, he didn't save you to be a servant first. Being a servant of God is great. It's the greatest thing you can do. But being a child of God is even greater. And so that's where the focus has to be. And then secondly comes what Jesus then did. He appointed them that they should go preach and that they would have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. So he called them to himself and then he appointed them to go out in service and and again, let me just say it that 's the way it works that 's the order now god 's called every one of us to serve him and i 'm going to take here i 'm not going to go specifically into preaching and healing and deliverance from demons uh, I'm just gonna, i 'm just going to I want to just broaden that to say um so what, it, what he did is he sent them out to serve him for the advancement of his kingdom. And this is the things that they did. And this is what we do too. Not maybe in the most direct way as they did on this occasion where they went out and literally you know, preached the gospel. And they went out and they healed people literally. And they literally cast demons out. Well, we're called to do the same kind of thing, but it might not be, Looking exactly like that for everybody. For some people, it looks exactly like that. But for others, it looks a little bit different. But the point is you're accomplishing the same thing. So because when I say preach, and we've talked about this recently, preaching, but when I say preach, most people think preach like like this guy's doing right here. He's preaching. And you're going, I don't know how to do that. Okay, well, that's like we talked before. That's not really... Uh, contextually, that's not the same for everyone. For you, maybe preaching is you're just talking to the person next to you at work. You're telling them about what Jesus did in your life and what he could do in their life. You're preaching to them. And, you know, somebody's over here actually laying hands on the sick and they're getting healed. And you're not doing that But God is using you to bring healing into people's lives as you come alongside and as you love them and as you minister to them. And then you got people over here who are oppressed by the devil and some people are coming along and they're having the power of the spirit to literally cast a demon out of a person and you're not doing that, but God's using you to reverse the work of Satan in people's lives. And he's appointed you to that. So... He's appointed us all to pretty much the same thing. But this is where we go back to this diversity thing. But it looks different because we are different. Now, it can look very similar in some cases. But, but there's differences too. I think of, you know, I have a lot of friends who are preachers. Us <laughs> preachers stick together, you know. But I can be in a conference or somebody with a preacher and I I can be listening to them preach and and I can think, listening to them, I can think, man, I'm not a preacher. Because I don't preach like that. That's preaching, that's what they do. Man, they're preaching, but I'm not a preacher. But I am a preacher, but I don't preach like that. I preach like something else. But you see, it's... My point is that going back to the diversity thing, there's all this diversity and God's called us all and he's appointed us all and he wants to use us all. Now, how many of you think the world you live in is messed up? Anybody think that? (laughs) How many of you think the world is perfect? It's just great, couldn't get any better. Anybody think that? Because we'll counsel you. In depthly at the end of the service. No, the world is messed up. It's really messed up. How does it get fixed? How, how does it get any better? Well, here's some problems. First of all, the world is totally messed up, but it doesn't even, a lot of people don't even know it's messed up. They think it's fine. And then the people who realize it's messed up They think it's messed up for the wrong reasons. They don't even know, you know, they think they know why it's messed up, but they're wrong. No, that's not the problem. And there are people who just, they know it's messed up, but they really don't know why it's messed up. Guess what? This will sound super arrogant to some people. Christians know the world is messed up, and we know why it's messed up. It's messed up because of sin. It's messed up because people are disconnected from the God who made them and they're trying to figure out life apart from their maker and that doesn't work. So we know the problem and guess what else we know? We know the solution to the problem. And not only do we know the solution to the problem, if we're Christians, we have experienced the solution to the problem and we can tell other people and impart to them the solution to the problem. And that's what we're called to do. But here's how it works. It works like this. He called us first and foremost into a personal relationship with himself. And as we grow in that relationship, he'll equip us and show us where to go and what to do from there. You know, I am a firm believer in God's personal direction of people's lives. I absolutely believe that that happens. And here's how it happens. Just like we said, as we come to Jesus, as we seek to grow in him, as we pursue knowing him, guess what? He directs us. In the course of our developing our relationship with him, he says, okay, this is great. I want you to do this for me. And then I I want you to do that for me. And this is what we're doing here. And this is what we're doing there. And, And that's how it happens. That's why we go back and we start with that foundational thing. Let's just cultivate the relationship. Because as you do that, you will discover inevitably where to go and what to do, and you will be equipped to do it. So today... If you say to me, I don't know where to go or what to do, then I say to you, get to know Jesus better. Seek him. Don't just content yourself with coming to church on Sundays. Don't just content yourself with listening to a podcast here or there. No, seek him. Really pursue him. Yes, come to church. And yes, listen to podcasts, but do more than that get alone with him. Open your Bible. Say, God, here I am Work in my life. Let me know you better. Reveal yourself to me. You see, when you seek him, as, as the Lord said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so often today, people are wandering around wondering, I don't know. I never heard from God. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but um, the problem is we never stopped to really seek the Lord. So we've got to do that. And as we do that, as you do that personally, you're going to discover where to go and what to do. And you're gonna find that it, it's very much suited to who you are. You're gonna realize that, wow, I think God made me to do this the whole time. Yes, he did. <laughs> and you're, you're just gonna discover that. You're going to find that things that you like and you know things that you've been interested in and things that you know and things that you've actually done, God's going to take and he's going to start using all of those things. Because what is our mission? Our mission is to reach people like these guys. He took them, this diverse group, and he sent them out to preach and to heal and to deliver. And that's what he's sending us out to do. That's what he's calling us to do. And unless the church does that, Nothing will change. Nothing will change in this world unless people's hearts change. Nothing will change for the better unless people's hearts change. And people's hearts will only change through the power of the gospel. And God, although he can overrule and just say, forget it, people are not, you know, they're not getting it done. I'm going to just do it myself. He can do that at times. He does do that. And we pray that they would step in and do that in a significant way, uh, but in the meantime, we have to remember we're the ones that he's using. He's called us. He's called us to missional living. What does missional living mean? Missional living means that you're, you're a missionary in life. You see, we, we've taken and we've kind of reduced these, these categories. You know, we think of mission and we think of, well, mission, I'm going to Mexico for a week. That's a mission. Well, that is a mission. That's great if you're going to Mexico for a week. Go. That's awesome. Uh, or, you know, I'm, I'm a missionary. I'm moving to Japan, and I'm going to serve the Lord in Japan. Yes, that's a missionary. That's fantastic. That's great. But what about everybody else that's at home? Guess what? Everybody at home, we're, we're to be engaged in missional living. That means you're a missionary at work. You're a missionary in your neighborhood. You're a missionary uh, with your family. You're, you're missional. You're just living on mission wherever you go, whatever you're doing. You're, you're looking at that thing as being a means through which God will use you to preach, communicate the gospel, let people know about Jesus, and bring healing and deliverance into their lives. And sometimes our problem is we're trying to fit into a, a you know some sort of a space that we're not. That's not for us. Again, it would be like um, Thaddeus trying to be Peter. Thaddeus is not Peter. He's Libius, <laughs> and he's Judas, but he's not Peter. You know, you see the thing, we fall into this trap, don't we? We think of serving God and we just think of it in a certain way. We think of it in like these kinds of categories and I don't fit into that category. So how's it, you know, I guess I can't do it. No, you do it in the context of who you are and where you are. And if God wants to move you into something else, he will do that. But think about it. Most people come to Christ. I, I heard somebody say in a message uh, that I listened to yesterday, uh, it was a conference on cities, reaching big cities for Christ. And, and the person said that they believe that the future for evangelism in our cultural context is missional living more so than like mass evangelism, more so than outreach evangelism, not to the exclusion of those other things, but more so. You know, you can only have so many crusades. You can only have so many outreaches. You only have so much money to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you know, and, and you can only fit so many people in a stadium or whatever. But missional evangelism is people everywhere where they're at on the job in the community with the family with the friends where I'm on a plane I'm just I'm on mission and and that's how it happens and it's true it is true, not to the exclusion of those other things, but even if you talk to people who do you know, large-scale evangelism, of course, what do they always tell you? They always tell Christians, bring your friends, bring your unsaved friends, because we're counting on you to do that. If you don't get them into the stadium, they're not gonna come, and that's true. You know, We can sit around here week after week, month after month, year after year, and just hope people come into church. They're just driving down the road, and they decide, oh, there's a church. I'm gonna go in and get saved, That might happen to one person or three, but it's not gonna happen on a large scale. How are people gonna get to church? How are people gonna get plugged in? How are people gonna hear the gospel? We gotta tell them. We gotta tell them right where we're at. And we've got to understand that we are on mission. Now, on my flight home, I watched the movie, Mr. Rogers. I wanted to watch this movie. I heard it was out. I was completely stunned by the movie because I thought, for some reason, I thought it was a dramatization of the story of Mr. Rogers, uh, but it, it was actually a documentary. You know, it's recently come out. It's been in the theaters fairly recently. And, um, but, uh, you know, for some reason, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd like to see it. So I was on the flight, so I got to watch it. It absolutely shocked me to find out that Fred Rogers, now I knew this about him. I knew that he was an ordained minister. Um, he had, it was a seminarian. He had graduated you know, from seminary. But this is what I didn't know. What I didn't know is that what he did in becoming Mr. Rogers, the person that we would know on, you know, from television, is that he set out to become an evangelist and he realized, he wanted to be a child evangelist and he realized that TV was the way to reach kids. So he considered himself a TV evangelist. That's what he considered himself to be. Now, you're asking... Brian, why did you want to watch Mr. Rogers' movie? (laughs) I didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers. I'm too old. (laughs) But what has piqued my interest in Mr. Rogers as of late is my granddaughter, Evelyn, because she loves Daniel Tiger. And Daniel Tiger is the 21st century version of Mr. Rogers because Mr. Rogers had a puppet that was a tiger. And he used to talk, so now... He's gone. And now they've taken and they've done this animated, you know, a cartoon with Daniel Tiger. And whenever I see uh, Evelyn, she will just go off with these amazingly philosophical little things. And I look at her and think, Evelyn, where in the world did you learn that? Daniel Tiger. Whoa, Daniel Tiger, okay. Or she'll sing me a great song about loving my neighbor and being a good neighbor and all of that. And uh, Evelyn, where did you learn that song? Daniel Tiger. So this got me interested in Mr. Rogers. And when I watched that film, now there's all kinds of criticism of Mr. Rogers, that he was liberal theologically and so forth. And, you know, maybe he was. I mean, I think he was to, uh, certainly to certain degrees anyway. But, you know, it's interesting. In interviewing his wife after he had passed away, she said his greatest concern at the end of his life was this, that he was a sheep, not a goat. I thought, wow, that's heavy. He wanted to make sure he was a sheep. You know, sheep and goats. Jesus uses that illustration. But the thing I thought about is this. One, I thought, if, if everybody just lived like Mr. Rogers boy, the world would be a much better place tomorrow if we all did that today. But you know what? He believed this. He believed that everyone was created in the image of God and was therefore worthy of respect and dignity and that we should treat one another in that way and that we should view ourselves as special because we are created in God's image. And so all all of that to say this. So this guy took his gifting to do music, his passion for children, his own pain from childhood, because he was kind of bullied as a kid. And he took all of that and he said, God, I'm gonna serve you with this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve you, in the context of children. And he became, you know, as as we know, um, a legend, really. And what I, what I want to say is that he lived missionally. That's what he did. So that's that's the point that I'm making here. It, his life is the illustration of the missional life. He he went to seminary, but he didn't feel called to be a pastor. So he didn't go into the pastoral role. He went into this. And so for you, you you have a gift. You have abilities. You have interests. You have things. You have friends. You have people around you. You have uh you know, uh, a sphere that God has placed you in, that's the place of your ministry. Be missional there. How do I do it? Get to know Jesus better. Get closer to him. Seek him. Develop the relationship with him. And guess what? That preaching you're afraid to do, it'll just flow out. And it won't be preachy. Like we've talked about before, it'll just come out, and that healing that that person needs, it'll just it'll come because the Lord will give it, and that deliverance that that person needs, God God will use you, and remember, He uses all kinds. Don't say, "Well, you know, He can't use me." He can. Not only can He, He will. And not only will he, he wants to. He wants to use you, he wants to use me. One final story as I close. Um, I was speaking to my sister the other day and I mentioned to you last week or week before that my, uh, my nephew had passed away and um, if you keep my sister in prayer, her name's Michelle and she's a great strong believer She's driving his body or you know, the ashes of his body to Georgia today. She left because he has two sons in Georgia and they're going to have a memorial service for, for him there. So she's on her way. If you could just keep her in prayer, that would be great. But um, I went to see my mom and my other sister. I haven't, another couple of sisters. But anyway, I was talking to one of my sisters and she was telling me this story that absolutely, amazed and blessed me. So she, she's, her life has been pretty broken and she came you know, from a bad marriage and all that. She had this mother-in-law that was like really, really not a nice person. And um, it was just known that she was not a nice person. So my sister was telling me that she passed away. I didn't even know she died. She passed away in August when I was in the UK. And so, but she told me, that um, what she realized about her mother-in-law is that she was actually demon-possessed. And it was very interesting, as my sister was telling me this, and when you, if you understood the context of this person's life and everything, I, when she said it, I said, oh, she was, for sure. I mean, that's the explanation for all the wreckage and all of that stuff in her life and around her. But anyway, here's the thing. few days before she dies. She's just as mean as ever. And just spewing hatred and all of this stuff. And there's a guy that lives across the street and everybody thinks this guy is a weirdo. He's got a Bible and he's like a heavy metal dude. And like, oh no, there's that just that freaky guy in the neighborhood. You know that's that was everybody's attitude toward him. That guy came and knocked on the door. And he had heard that she was dying. And he said, "Would it be okay if I came in and prayed with her?" And they were just at that point, you know, they I mean, you know, she's dying and everybody's pretty desperate and so they they allowed him to come in. He spent three hours with that woman and he led her to Christ. And my sister, (laughs) my sister told me this. She said, Brian, she was absolutely changed. I mean, they were not friends in in the slightest. She said, Brian, she was an absolutely different person when she died a couple days later. And, you know, it just made me think, when she said that. It just made me think of, because like I said earlier, you know, I have my standards. So, I, you know, I, I like certain kind of approaches and, you know, when it comes to evangelism, yeah, you know, this is the way you wanna do it and this is how you wanna present it and all that. You know, I, I have my own preferences and things. And sometimes my preferences can get in the way of what God actually wants to do. Because I think, well, God can't use that person. I mean, come on. So what what is my point? My point is that God doesn't have those kinds of preferences. He's into diversity. And he uses everybody who comes to him. And he uses them in ways that only they could be used. This guy was just created for that moment to go in. And just with that tenacity, because they had, been, they had mocked him. They told him to get lost. You know, they just, we don't want this to get, you know, this guy's weird. But man, he just had that tenacity to go back in and, and God used him to save a soul. So as we finish and as we just think about this, Just like Jesus took these 12 from all these different backgrounds and he called them to be with him and then he sent them out. That's us today. And that's what the Lord is doing and he's wanting to do. And let's just yield to that and let's recognize that we're on a mission and we're on a mission everywhere, 24 seven, wherever we are, God's with us, and he wants to work through us. And the more we just get close to him, and the more deeply we know him, the more personally we experience him, that's just gonna flow from our lives when we are in those places where the opportunity comes. So Lord, we ask that you would help us Lord, first and foremost, just to realize that your top priority for us is to be with you and help us, Lord, to to make that our priority too. To be with you, to spend time with you, to get to know you, to grow more deeply in our understanding of who you are and our experience of you. Lord, that your very nature and personality might be imprinted on us and that you could work through us. Lord, we recognize our desperate situation in our world. And Lord, the world needs you. The world needs Jesus. And Lord, you've called us your sons and daughters, which means we're representatives of you. So, Lord, I pray for each one. Help us to find our place and just to live out that relationship in that place, doing those things that you ordained for us, those good works that you ordained for us to walk in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.